Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We're, we're going to stand for God's Word. Some, something about happens when you just stand for a dignitary. I, I don't think there's anybody more worthy of us standing this morning than Jesus himself. Amen. Hey, come on. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Are you grateful? Are you thankful? Then we need to express that with our mouth. Can we just take a moment and just open our mouth? I know this may be uncomfortable for some of you, but how many know it's not Thanksgiving till it comes out? It's not gratitude till it comes out. Do you know what the Bible says? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you're grateful, you ought to say so. If you're thankful for your spouse, you ought to say so. If you're thankful for what God's done in your life, you ought to say so. Come on, can we just lift our voice to him today? Father, we just thank you, God. You're a good God. Great is your faithfulness. Thank you, God. You've already done enough for us. God, if you never do another thing for me, you've already done enough. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen. Don't sit yet because I haven't read yet. If you have your Bibles or your devices, you can, you can look on the screen. Every note in front of me is going to be on the screen. Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus begins to draw some major attention. Jesus is going viral. People are hearing about his works. They're hearing about his, his teaching. He's preaching in the synagogues. He's building a following. And in the end of chapter four, the Bible tells us that Jesus heals many. And the way that the chapter ends is that Jesus actually goes to Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house, who's sick with a fever. And he touches her. This is Peter's first interaction with Jesus. How many of you know that if you have someone sick at your house and Jesus comes in, and touches somebody who's going to die if they don't get a miracle. And that person receives a miracle, it's gonna get your attention. Jesus has Peter's attention. Very next verse, chapter five, it says this. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon Peter. He asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. You have to understand the lake at Gennesaret was like an amphitheater. The lake was smooth. It was crystal clear. It was surrounded by these hills. And so as Jesus would speak from the boat, the crowd would be on shore. And his voice would echo across the water, bouncing off these mountains. It was a first century PA system. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch into the deep and let your nets down for the catch. But Simon answered and said, master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish as their net was breaking. So they signaled to the partners in the other boats to come and help them. They came and they filled both of the boats. So they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' 
knees saying, depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. Personally, this is the first time that Simon Peter encounters Jesus in this way. Before he was just an admirer, but something happens. Watch what happens. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And also with them were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon Peter. And James said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. Peter has this amazing encounter with Jesus. And he forsakes all. And it says, and he followed him. Would you just say that with me? Followed him. Followed him. He followed Jesus. Peter starts off strong, following Jesus. Now fast forward three and a half years, Matthew 26, 6, is where we're going to spend the remainder of our time. Matthew 26, just a few verses. But Peter followed him at a distance. I just want to take a few moments this morning and I want to preach to you a message simply entitled, Following at a Distance. Following at a Distance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the reading of your word. God, we know that it's your word that changes us. It's your thoughts. God, your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our ways. So God, today, speak your words to us. God, change us from the inside out. And my prayer today is may we never be the same. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen and amen. You may be seated. 2,000 years later, the, uh, the invitation has not changed. The invitation that Jesus gave to Peter on a lake is the same invitation that he gives to every single one of us in New Iberia. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what your background is, what you did last night, how much money you have or don't have. Jesus makes the same invitation to every single one of us to simply follow him, to follow him. In our text, Peter, James, and John, Jesus says these words, follow me. And they follow him. They, they, they forsook all. This was this was an invitation that we would see Jesus giving throughout Scripture. It's the way that he called every single one of the disciples. He would say, follow me, follow me. It happens in John chapter 1. It says, the next day Jesus decided to leave Galilee, finding Philip. And he said to him, follow me. In Luke chapter 5, later on, it says, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi or Matthew. And he said to him, sitting at his tax booth, follow me and he followed him. It's the same thing he did, not just with the disciples. He did it with the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18. It says this, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you have treasures in, the, in heaven. Then come and follow me. We see this 20 other times that Jesus makes this invitation throughout scripture that he would find people. He would call them out of a crowd. He would, he would, they would be hearing his teaching and he would always give the invitation to, to follow him. Now you have to understand something. This invitation to follow Jesus is not a halfway thing. It's, it's not a part-time job. How many of you understand you can't halfway follow someone? You can't pick and choose the aspects of Christianity that you want to follow. You're either in or you're out. It's not a halfway type of thing. The great theologian Lee Camp said it this way. He says, discipleship is about proximity. Nothing else. Jesus always asks his disciples to follow him, not merely accept them, not merely believe in him, not merely worship him, but to follow him. Then he says this, one either follows Christ or he does not. You, you can't halfway follow. You can't follow from a distance. You can't pick and choose which aspects of Jesus that you want to follow. You either follow or you don't. 
If we were to leave church today and I said, hey, come to my house for lunch, well, I don't know how to get there. I would tell you these words, follow me. How many of you understand that if you follow me halfway to my house and you take a different route, you turn, you make a right when I make a left, it doesn't matter how much you want to get there. If you don't follow me, we're not going to get to the same destination. You either follow or you don't. There's a book that I read many years ago. Maybe Pastor Paul, you'll remember this. It was from, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember the, the gentleman's name, uh, Ray Vanderlaan. It was the uh, Dust of the Rabbi, in the Dust of the Rabbi. I don't know if you remember that book. And, and he, he began to spell out when a rabbi would choose his disciples, how they would literally follow in the footsteps of the rabbi. And the reason why they called it in the dust of the rabbi is because the closer you got to the rabbi, a disciple, a follower, would literally put his foot in every place that the rabbi would go. He wanted to know what it was like to follow in his footsteps. And that's how they learned to follow the teacher, that's how they learn to follow the master. When Jesus tells his students, his disciples, he is a rabbi, their understanding would be that I have to follow closely. See, the goal of discipleship is never comfort and convenience. It's always closeness. How close can I get to Jesus? And it doesn't matter where you are on this journey called Christianity. It doesn't matter where you are on this journey called discipleship. I guess the question I really want to ask tomorrow or today is simply this. Are you closer today than you were yesterday? Are you closer to Jesus today than you were last week? 2020, y'all, has been a crazy year. Are you closer to Jesus in 2020 than you were at the end of 2019? And, and, and that's hard sometimes because I've come to realize that the closer I get to Jesus, listen to me, closeness will cost you. It's not easy to get close. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you some time. It's going to cost you your flesh. It's going to cost you some friends. It's going to cost you some relationships. Maybe that's why Matthew said, whoever wants to be my disciple, Jesus said, must deny themselves and take up their cross to follow me. It's always going to cost you. If you really want to be a Christian, if you really want to be a disciple, it's going to cost you. You're going to have to deny your flesh and pick up your cross. Let me show you how hard this thing is. Peter sets out. To follow Jesus. The Bible told us in Matthew 5 that he forsook everything. He left his fishing business. He follows Jesus. Fast forward three and a half years later, Peter, the follower of Jesus, is with Jesus. Jesus is about to die. He's talking to Peter and the other 11 men who pledged their life to him for the past three and a half years. And these are the ones that have given up everything. And look what Jesus tells them. They're at the Last Supper. Jesus says, and this is Matthew chapter 26, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Jesus is quoting an Old Testament prophecy from Zechariah. He's telling his disciples, somebody in this room, you're going to deny me. If, if, if this was Facebook, you're going to unfollow me. He's telling them, the men who's been with him for three and a half years, one of you is going to forsake me. You're, you're going to be caused to stumble because of me. None of the men answer. Not one of the men answer, except for Peter. How many know Peter's always sticking his foot in his mouth? Here's what Peter said. Peter said to him, even if all were made to stumble, Jesus, because of you, I will never be made to stumble. He's saying, hey, I don't, I don't care what these other fools do, Jesus. I'm your boy. If anybody's going to stick with you, it's going to be me. I promise you, it ain't going to be me. Remember, he says, hey, hey, look, I'm the one that walked on water. You remember me, Jesus? I mean, the only thing I got against you is you healed my mother-in-law. That's the only thing I got against you. 
I'm just kidding. I love my mother-in-law. Peter says, it's not going to be me. I, I am Peter. I mean, look what Jesus tells him. He goes, oh, yeah, okay, Peter, Mr. Water Walker, hold on for one second. He says, assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, this night, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I have to die, even if they put a gun to my head, even if they put a sword to my throat, even if they threaten me with death, I will die with you before I ever deny you. I will not deny you. And so said all of the disciples. I want you to see this. Peter says, I'm never going to deny you. I'm always going to follow you. Don't you remember I walked on water? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And the thing I'm specifically not going to do is to deny you. He told Jesus, I will never do it. My question this morning is this. How many of us in a weak area of our lives told Jesus, I will never do it, only to do it. How many of us promised Jesus, I will never do it again, and then we did it again? I'll never act that way again. I'll never watch that again. I'll never smoke that again. I'll never drink that again. I'll never think that again. I'll never do it again. And you said it on a Sunday because that's when we tell Jesus we're never going to do it. But then Thursday rolls around and the opportunity presents itself. And the thing that you never said you would do, you now find yourself doing. Am I the only one? I will never do it. I think we can all relate because there's things I said I would never do. And then I did. There's things I said that I would never do again. And I found myself stuck in a routine and a habit of doing the things that I didn't even want to do. So Peter says, I will always follow you. I will never deny you. And then just a few verses later, y'all, this isn't years that pass by. This is hours. This is hours. They're at a meal on a Thursday night. The meal's over. Jesus says, let's go pray. They don't even make it an hour. So we know not even an hour goes by that they're praying because Jesus says, could you even make it an hour to pray with me? And the answer was no. Then as soon as the prayer is over, we, we know that Judas betrays him in the Garden of Gethsemane. G, uh, Ju, Judas shows up, and then they take Jesus, this, 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 this guard takes Jesus, and they take him before the Sanhedrin. While he goes to the Sanhedrin, they're interrogating Jesus. Less than two hours has gone by since Peter made the declaration that I will not deny you. So Jesus is now being interrogated by the high priest, Annas and Caiaphas. It's the Sanhedrin. They're having the secret council. They're trying to put all this evidence on Jesus and make this stuff up about Jesus. And so Peter is following from a distance. He sees what's going on. And look what it says. It says, now Peter sat outside the courtyard of the secret trial that's going on two hours later. And a servant girl came to him and said, hey, you were with Jesus. But he denied it before them all saying, I don't know what you're talking about. Girl, I don't know what you're saying. I don't know the man. Next verse, and then he had gone to this gateway. Another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied it deeper with an oath. He says, I do not know the man. You must got me confused. I got a familiar face, girl. 
a bunch of dudes that look like me in this village. He's, now he denies it with a, an oath. See, the first time he just denies it, says, I don't know the guy. The second time he denies it with an oath. An oath was a legal term. If you were to lie under oath, it was like perjury. So he denies with an oath. And, and so then he goes a little further. And a little later, those who stood by, stood by came up and said to Peter, surely we recognize you. I know you are him. You are also one of them for your speech betrays you. Then he began, watch this, to curse and swear, I don't know the man. So he goes from denial to denial with an O to I don't know the bleepity bleepity blankety blank man. He starts cursing. This is a guy who two hours ago said, I ain't going to do it. Now he's cursing people for calling him a follower of Jesus. Then watch this. Then he began to curse and swear, I don't know the man. Watch it. Immediately, a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus, who said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. And my question is, what in the world happened in these two hours? How, how can you say, I'll never deny you? How, how can you say, I'll die for you? How, how can you say, when Jesus told him, hey, you're going to do this, and he says, I'm not going to do it. How can you do all this and then two hours later say, I don't even know the man? What, what in the world happened in two hours? Did, did, did Peter quit loving Jesus? No. Did, 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 did Peter quit believing that Jesus was the Messiah? No. Did, did, did Peter all of a sudden get possessed by the devil? No. Then what happens? What happens? I'm going to tell you what happened to him. It's the same thing that happens to us. It's two words. Write this down. Because this is a stumbling block for every single one of us. It's called, here it is, the cost. The cost. If Peter says, yes, this is my boy, I was with Jesus, then he would have automatically been guilty by association. At the very least, he would have been mocked and persecuted. But probably more than likely, he would have been placed on trial as well. So in that moment, he considers the cost and he says to himself, I will choose my comforts and convenience over the cost. And if we're real honest, if Nick Carroll is real honest before you today, the thing that trips us up all more than anything else is not that we fall out of love with Jesus it's not that we don't believe he is who he says he is. It's that when push comes to shove, sometimes we're not really willing to pay the cost. It's the cost, isn't it, that trips us up? So we get to this place and we're like, you know what, God, I love you. I love you, Jesus. I love coming to church on Sundays. But you know what, when I leave here, I really don't know if I really want to change that area of my life. I, I, I love you, Jesus, and I know that you died for my sins, but what are people going to say? What, what, what are they going to think of me? I, I love you, Jesus, but there's still areas of my life that I really like living this way. I don't want to change that area of my life. I don't want to change the way I think. I don't want to change certain friends. I love you, Jesus, but I, I still like getting wasted on the weekend. There's just areas of my life that I really don't know if I want to pay that cost. And the thing that trips up Peter is the same thing that trips you and I up. It's the cost. And the reason why we get to this place is because of verse 58. 
Verse 58 says, but Peter followed at a distance. He just followed at a distance. I'm going to still come to church. I'm still going to follow. I'm still going to believe, but I'm going to stay way back here, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to press in. He followed at a distance. In Luke chapter 5, he forsakes everything to follow him. Matthew 26, he's following at a distance. Write this down. Satan is okay with you following Jesus just as long as you follow at a distance. So come to church, sing your song, shake their hands, raise your hands, say amen when the preacher's preaching good, say hallelujah, say praise the Lord, just don't get too close. Don't get too far in. Just follow at a distance. You, you know what following at a distance is? You know why Peter followed at a distance? It's called playing it safe. Can I just be honest with you about the state of the church in America? The state of the church in America right now, Pastor Paul, is not the same church we grew up in. It's not. We've been playing it safe, y'all. We have been playing it safe. We've been skirting the line just enough of the church, just enough of the world so both groups accept us. Playing it safe. And I'm just here to tell you today, listen to me, you may not like this, but this idea of passionless, chilled out, vanilla, playing it safe, Christianity doesn't work. It's got to go. This is not a time to play it safe. This is not a time to shrink back. This is not a time to, to be lukewarm. This is not a time to be halfway. This is not a time to be vanilla. This is not a time to have one foot in the world, one foot in the church. That's not what the time is. There's a dividing line coming, and we got to choose, man. What side of this thing are we going to be on? The days of having a cute little Instagram post of you posting a scripture then going to the club on the Thursday and the Friday night, it, it doesn't exist anymore. You're either going to have to decide. Decide what today. Who will you serve? We, we got to decide. Look and check this out. When, when, when the apostle Paul was talking about discipleship, he says this in Romans chapter 12. He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Do you see the divide? Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. And check this out. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. That word for zeal in the Greek is the Greek word zelos. You know what that Greek word zealous means? It literally means to be hot enough to boil. He's saying if you're going to be a Christian, be a hot one. Not just a hot one. Be a hot one that is hot enough to boil. Listen, a hot pot's going to burn your finger. But boiling water will move a locomotive. God is not just looking for a hot church. He's not looking for a warm church. He's looking for a boiling church, an on-fire church, a church that says, I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm not going back. I'm not doing this thing halfway. I'm not vanilla. I'm all the way in. A church that the gates of hell can't prevail against. That's the kind of church Jesus died for. That's the kind of church that he tells Peter he wants to build. But we've, we've settled just across the board. We've just settled for following at a distance. You know, you know what I think following at a distance is? 
I think following at a distance is when the Sunday morning you and the Friday night you are different people. Why? Because it's easy to get excited today. It's easy to praise on Sunday. It's easy to raise your hand when everybody else is raising their hand. It's easy to follow when you're with the core. Y'all, Peter is with the core at the Last Supper. I ain't going to deny you, Jesus. Of course he says that. He's with the boys. He's with the church folks. He's with the other Christians. They eat lamb chops at the Last Supper. I'm good. I ain't going nowhere. You my boy, Jesus. Listen to me. It's easy to be on fire when you're in here. It's easy to say, yeah, I ain't denying you when you're in here. It's easy on a Sunday morning. You're here. You're with the core. Nobody denies Jesus when you're with the core. The problem is when you leave the core and you're stuck with the crowd. You, you can play both sides for a while. You really can. But at some point, push is going to come to shove, and you're going to have to declare your allegiance. You're going to have to pick. Today is as good as day as any to pick. What's it going to be? What's it going to be? The line's being drawn, y'all. I'm telling you, it's being drawn right now. It's coming. It's here. In our country, it's the great divide. It's not black, white. It's not Republican, Democrat. It's either I'm with the Christ or I'm with the crowd. Which one's it going to be? And we just have to decide. We just got to make a decision. Who, li, li, listen, Jesus said, I, pick one. I'd rather you be hot or cold. Just don't be lukewarm because I will vomit you out of my mouth. That's not my words. That's Jesus. Read Revelation chapter 3. Who's it going to be? The Christ or the crowd? Peter picked the crowd. I told you I don't know who he is. I am not his boy. And when he picks the crowd, he hears the rooster crow for the third time, and he begins to weep. I just want to, I'm closing in just a moment, but I want you to unpack this story with me. As he begins to weep, they're putting Jesus on trial. There's this secret interrogation going on between Annas, the former high priest, and Caiaphas, the, the now high priest. They're plotting about how to plant evidence against Jesus before they hand him over to Rome and to Pilate. All this is happening. Peter's still watching from a distance. He's seeing all this go on. He, he would see Jesus being taken from the high priest's home to Pontius Pilate, he would, he would see from a distance as they would begin to whip Jesus with a cat of nine tails and as they would pluck flesh from his back where flesh and muscle and tendons would be ripped out. They, they would see, he would see Jesus as they take a crown of mulberry thorns that were 
three to four inches long and just press it into his skull. He would begin to see all this as they ripped his beard, literally hair by hair from his face. Scripture tells us at this point he was even unrecognizable as a man. He would see Jesus from a distance as they placed this 90-pound beam on his back, and he would walk three-quarters of a mile up the skull of Golgotha. He would just begin to see this, and I can only imagine as he's seeing this, he starts to have all these regrets. Why did I deny him? Why did I say I didn't know him? He would see Jesus as they take this beam off of his back and they lay him on this beam and they drive nine inch nails into his wrist and to his feet. He would see Jesus from a distance as they placed that, 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 that cross in the ground and just stand him up. He would see Jesus as he breathes his last breath and he watched Jesus in agony. And I can only imagine he's thinking to himself, I blew it. I blew it. What did I do? It's my fault. If I would have, if I would have denied him, maybe this wouldn't have happened. And he's so overtaken with guilt. And he's so overtaken with shame that after the crucifixion, do you know what Peter does next? Watch this. The very next time we see Peter, what's he doing? It's in John chapter 21. John 21, it says this. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. He goes back to the very thing that Jesus called him out of. I'm going back. Going back to the boat. Going back to the boys. Going back to my nets. Going back to the lake. I'm going back to what I used to do. I'm going back to who I used to be. I mean, how can I get over what I did? How can I get over this mistake? How can I get over the sin? How can I get over my past? I'm going back to what I used to do. Listen to me. No matter where you are in your walk or how many times you fall short, progress is simply when you don't go back. Don't go back. And I know, listen to me, I know opportunities come to draw us back. Your past will stop you more than any other force on the planet. And some of you, you're just, you're just stuck right now. You're stuck. And you want to go back so bad. Like, how come I can't make progress? This should have been a season. And because you, you, you keep going back, you, your seasons turn into a cycle. Just don't repeat. You can't even see your future because of your past. And, and maybe somebody just needs to hear this this morning. Stop cheating on your future with your past. Quit going back. Look what happens when he goes back. So, so Jesus died, he was buried, he's resurrected, he comes back. And look what happens. Peter said to him, I'm going fishing. And then they said to him, we're going with you also. You know what happens when you go back? You take some people with you. They went out and immediately got in a boat. And that night they caught nothing. Does this sound familiar? Three and a half years earlier when Jesus called them, guess what they caught? Nothing. But when the morning had now come, check this out. 
Jesus stood on the shore. Now, this was after the resurrection. Jesus in his resurrected body. He came back. Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, he said to them, children, have you any food? They answered, no. And he said to them, well, cast your net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast their net and were not able to draw in this because of the multitudes of fish. I can only imagine what the disciples are thinking, what Peter's thinking at this point. Wait a minute. Is this deja vu? Did this happen before? This, this feels like three and a half years ago. Y'all remember that night when we caught nothing and there was this guy standing on the shore and he says, have y'all caught anything? And we said, no. And he said, throw your nets on the other side. That guy was Jesus. Y'all, this is Jesus. Think, think about what's going through their mind. Peter was so excited to see Jesus. Check this out. The disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, that's John, it's the Lord. Now when Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had removed it. And check this out. And he plunged into the sea. This guy goes from following in a distance to jumping in the water like Michael Phelps. And I love this because this is the exact same miracle that Jesus performed the exact same way. Why? Why would he do this? Here's what I think. I think he's telling Peter, I'm going to give you a second chance at this. I'm going to do it the exact same way. It's never too late for you to come back to me. It's never too late for you to follow me. I know that you denied me before, but you can follow me again. No matter where you are, what you've done, I'm taking you back to where I first called you. I think that's what God is doing with some of us today. That we've got off the beaten path, that we've fallen backwards, that we followed from a distance. And God loves you enough to take you back to the same place where he called you, where he, where he saved you, where he loved you for the very first time. He takes Peter back to the very first time. Maybe that's why Jesus tells us, don't forsake our first love. Go back to when you first fell in love with me. Go back to when you first felt his love, his, his grace. And it says, as soon as they came to land, he saw a fire and coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Then Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And likewise, the fish. So when they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, He's like, come here. I think Jesus could have spent time with anybody that morning. He could have said, John, you know what? You're the, you're the one who loved me the most. Why don't you come and sit by me? Come sit by the fire. He could have said, you know, Andrew, you stayed longest at the crucifixion. I'm so proud of you. Come sit over here by Jesus. But he doesn't. He says, Peter, Peter, come over here. Simon Peter, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to me, then feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Judah, do you love, Jonah, do you love me? He said, yes, you know I love you. Then he said, tend to my sheep. And he asked him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he asked him the third time, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. How many times did Jesus ask Peter, do you love me? How many times did Peter deny Jesus? And he keeps asking him, do you love me? Do you love me? I think Peter remember another conversation that Jesus had with him when he asked him. He says, if you love me, Peter, then keep my commands. If you love me, get it right this time. He goes on to say, verse 18, he says, most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself. You walked where you wished. But when you're old, he says this, check this out. 
you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. He's telling Peter, you're going to serve me so much that you're actually going to get crucified. You remember that time you told me you would die for me? You're actually given the opportunity to do that. Do that. He says, if you want to follow me, Peter, I'm going to give you the opportunity to really pick up your cross again. This time it's going to be in the natural. And then he spoke this and he said to him again, follow me. And Peter did. And Peter followed and he never looked back. I love this end of the story because the same voice that denied him three times is also the same voice that, that preached in Acts. And 3,000 got saved. The same voice that denied him three times is the same voice in Acts chapter 3 that turns to the beggar at the gate called Beautiful and says, Silver and gold I, I don't have, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus. The same voice that denied him three times is the same voice that in Acts chapter 5, this man had so much of Jesus in him that he would literally just walk by people and his shadow would heal them. I'm glad Peter realized that it wasn't over. And I think Jesus is asking us the same thing this morning. New Iberia, do you love me? Do you love me? It's not a rhetorical question anymore. You can answer, do you love me? Do you love him? Do you love him? Do you really love him? If you love me, then keep my commands. If you love me, then quit following from a distance. If you, if you love me, then be more than just a, a Sunday follower. If you love me, then pick up your cross every single day. Do you love me? And here's what I love about when you follow Jesus. Here's what I believe. When you choose to really follow Jesus, he shuts up the rooster. Because I think we get to a place or we just think we're too far back, that we can't make up the gap. And I think it's in those places when we fall back that we hear the rooster. Y'all know what the rooster is, right? Some of you couldn't even worship this morning because of all the junk in your life. That's my rooster. Some of you, you heard the voice today. What are you even doing in church? I know what you did last night. What are you doing? Coming to church like every eight weeks. Sounds like a sick rooster. Don't you know all the sin that you struggle with? You're not a real Christian. Do you hear it? Do you hear it? Do you hear it? Do you remember all the mistakes you made in your life? How can you raise your hand like that? My question is, why settle for the rooster when we have a resurrected Savior? Today, I just want to pray for you. And there's two groups specifically that I just want to pray for this morning. Number one, if you just realize, you know what? I've been following from a little further back than I need to. And I've never really turned my back on Jesus. But I realize today that the gap has gotten further and further between. If that's you, I, I just want to pray for you today. Nobody's looking at me. Every, every head bowed right now. And if you would just be real honest and say, you know what, Pastor, that's me. I, 
I've just been following from a distance. Would you just raise your hand? I want, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The second group is this. Maybe you feel like Peter. Maybe you feel like you blew it. You've been hearing the rooster crow in your life. You feel like what you did is, is too big. It's, it's too much. The shame has set in. If that's you, would you just raise your hand today? Thank you. Father, right now, God, I know. God, your grace is sufficient for every person in this place. God, you're not mad at us. God, you love us the way that a good father does. God, you're, you're not a God of second chances. You're God of the next chance. Thank you for your grace. God, thank you, God, that we've all done hideous things, heinous things. That, God, you always call us back to the place where you first called us. I am thank you for that today. God, you told Peter at the end of his life to follow him again. And that's the invitation you're giving us all today, to follow you. Thank you for that invitation. With every head bowed and every eye still closed, maybe you've never taken the initial journey. Maybe you've never followed Jesus wholeheartedly. You've never given your life to him. You can call it what you want. You can call it salvation. You can call it being born again. You can call it becoming a Christian. But you've never entered in onto that journey. Jesus said it this way. He said, no man can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. No man can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And Jesus said these words, verily I say to you, you must be born again. When we're born, we become a child. Everyone in this room, we're God's creation, but you don't become his child until you're born into his family. And the way that you're born into his family is very simple. It's A, B, C, it's A, just admitting. Admitting what? That you're a sinner. Every single one of us in this room have one thing in common. We're all sinners. We all fall short. I fall short daily. You just admit it. B, you believe. Believe what? That Christ alone became the bridge for you. He took your sin, your shame, and your guilt, and he died for it. He that knew no sin became sin. And no matter how strong you think you are by yourself, you can never get to God except through Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. B, you believe that. And see, you simply confess him as your Lord and your Savior. Nobody looking here but me today. You say, Pastor Nick, that's me. This morning, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to trust in him. I want to become a born-again child of God. If that's you, would you just raise your hand so I know who I'm praying with today? Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Anybody else? Very good. Well, church, we're going to pray with a handful of people this morning who are coming into the family of God, the body of Christ. Can we all pray this prayer with them? We don't pray alone. We want to join our faith with theirs. Can you say this with me? We say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, my guilt, and you died for it. I believe that you faced hell for me, so I would not have to go. You died on the third day, rose on the third day, to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.